What's up, guys? Um, Coming at you from home this week because as I record, we are snowed in in Nashville, so that's different. Um, And today's guest is just such a privilege to get to talk to. Um, If you are a country music fan like me, you probably know Granger Smith as a platinum-selling country music artist, singer, songwriter, Um, and I still, I love his music. And he is now um, a New York Times bestselling author. His first book came out last August. It is called Like a River. And it is similar to my story, his journey um, through tragic grief. Um, If you remember several years ago, hearing maybe the story of he and his wife losing their three-year-old son, um, that is how he starts his book that was uh, much like me, the catalyst to a radical faith and life transformation. Um, And he is so bold in his story and so honest about his mistakes. Um, and just so joyfully proclaiming everything and all the miracles and all of the healing and all of the wonder that he's experienced in the almost five years since that tragedy, um, personally in his family and in his life. And, and this is just such a life changing story. It is an inspiration for anybody who is in the throes of grief in a place where they feel untrusting or detached from God, from their faith. Um, or really just alone in their struggle, helpless. And, and, and as he talks a lot about at the end of the road of, of self-help and of being able to carry your own burdens because he couldn't anymore and, and just how that changed his life. And, and I just hope y'all will love him. He is so, like I said, transparent um, and joyful and just alive in his own story. It was such a joy to get to share hard conversations with him. Um, and ultimately just, just share the goodnesses, um, and the redemption that, that he's experienced in these years as of late. So I hope y'all enjoy this. If you haven't gotten his book, like a river, I would advise anybody to go read it. Um, it's such a beautiful look into his life and a beautiful look into how God changes, um, our hearts and our lives and our greatest losses. So, um, y'all enjoy today's conversation with Granger Smith. Well, Granger, I'm I'm so happy to talk to you. I've obviously followed you just in your career for many years um, as a singer, songwriter, performer, and uh, being in that world, I just I respect you as a writer, um, an artist in those ways. And then I obviously remember hearing you know about your family and, and the hardship y'all went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out we had the same book publisher and had the pleasure of reading your book and just commend you so much more even for, for your words and your heart in this than what we get a glimpse of just in like a three minute song. And so I just Mm. personally appreciate that. And just from the world that I've grown up in, um, I'm just so glad to share your story with our people. Um, and how we like to start, which is, is appropriate for you, um, is with what I call a walkout song, uh, because I'm in music city, even though I'm not a singer, um, I think music says so much about where we are, as I know you do too. And so I like to always check in with my guests and say, like, (laughs) we're recording in January at the beginning of a year. Um, If you had a walkout song, you know, like a baseball player, what would be playing sort of behind you or in your day-to-day life right now as you start 2024? I'll give you probably the answer that you don't typically get. But the the last, probably probably last year, I have been – so into classic hymns love it and the the songs that and i never really thought about it before until recently but the songs that have the full gospel message 
in the lyrics themselves. And so as congregations, you know, around the world used to sing these songs together and they didn't know it maybe at first what they were singing, or maybe they didn't know the gospel, but Sunday after Sunday, as they kept singing them, they're talking about the blood and the cross mm. and our sin, who God is and, and how we're redeemed through Jesus. And it, up until recently, I, I just didn't think about it until, and now I'm like, man, this is what I want my kids to be listening to right now. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going with like in Christ alone or oh, one that. of the, one of these hymns. That's, that's my, going to be my theme kicking off this year right now. Yeah, I love that. Um, and they eventually sink in. And I wonder, when, there's just deep dive, and we'll we'll get you'll give the overview of your story. But in walking through tragedy and hardship, did those hymns did they become richer to you than they did growing up in a world? I think similar to me, where I knew all those lyrics. You know, like Dad put out a, an album of hymns when I was ten or eleven years old, and I knew all those lyrics. But there is a richness of the gospel in those words that felt automatic that, that I, that, that was not there before. And so I wondered if that's been in the last few years that you really have dug back into those. Yeah. I remember when your dad did that and, and there's a lot of people have done that um, like Johnny Cash, you know, yeah. and, and, and I, I wonder with guys like your dad and Johnny Cash and me for sure, as we first hear those songs, we go, that's real pretty. Yeah, that reminds yeah. me of grandpa, you know, yeah. that, that reminds me of growing up, the nostalgia of growing up. But then as those words kind of just pour over us and, and you think about the guys like your dad in the studio going over it over and over and over yeah. and the engineers editing it and then mixing it. If it doesn't start creeping in, yeah. you know, if it doesn't start getting down through the bone, some of those lyrics. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I am uh, as of late. You, you think about my book, it's called Like a River. I mean, that's how that's how it is well with my soul mm. starts off. Yeah. And the story behind that song, to answer your question, the story behind that song is the guy um, lost his son and they decided, him and his wife and his two girls decided to take a trip to England to get away from everything in the U.S. And he had some work he needed to do to get that done. And so he was going to meet them in England and they were going to go and just like grieve the loss of their son and relax a little bit. And so his wife and two daughters go and the boat sinks and they die. Hmm. He gets news of this. And so he, he travels and he gets in the boat. And when he gets to the spot where the, the captain of his ship says, that's where their ship went down. He looks off into the water and he says, when sea billows roll, mm. it is well with my soul. And he's and to be able to think those lyrics, and he wrote the song shortly after that, to be able to think in terms of we have a sovereign God who's who has purposed and planned, and although this is horrible for me right now, it is still well with my soul because I know who has it. Mm. Dude, I I love that story and I've got chills right now. And and that was you mentioned like that reminds me of grandpa, that song specifically, I will never forget my mom's mom. Um, 
when she passed away and she was, goodness, I mean, in her early mid nineties, just long, healthy life. And when she passed away at her service, she used to sing in the church choir, as did many of our grandparents. And she was this beautiful soprano. And they somehow, in going back through her things, found a cassette tape of her singing It Is Well acapella soprano in the church. And they played it in her service. And it just, that, that was like the initial sinking into my bones that you mentioned. And I mean, I was in my early twenties and, and understood it of course. And then it always is like, Oh, I thought of grandmama and Oh, and hard things happen. I think of her singing it. And, and it just, it has become such an anthem obviously in my own tragedy, but even in just the day to day of like the truth of those lyrics, man, it's like the, the sea is billowing. Like, everything is rocking. Everything is, is optically unsafe. And like, yet it is well with my soul. And mm. I just love that. I love that. So that's the, if anybody's listening, pause and go listen to it as well. There's so many beautiful yeah. renditions of it. Yes. Um, okay. Well, love that start. But as much as I want to cover with you um, and learn from you, honestly, I feel like I've learned a lot from you in reading your book and Will you just give us sort of um, the overview of your family story in the book? You dive right into y'all's tragedy. That's where we start. And so if people aren't as familiar, will you just give them sort of that backstory? Yeah, the book really is a lot of people say, oh, the book is about the loss of your son. And it's not really. That's really just how it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the beginning. That's the first chapter. Like within a few paragraphs, we're going to get into Uh, My family lost my son, my three-year-old son, River, to a drowning in my own backyard at home. And I was there with him. I was there with uh, all three kids at the time. And I was playing gymnastics with my daughter and the two boys were having a water gun fight. And somehow Riv got into our our locked, fenced pool. And I found him in there. I don't know how long, maybe 60 seconds after he got in and he had gone unconscious and we, we live out in the country. We lived out in the country then we do now, but we lived in a different house and, and he had been unconscious for about 10 minutes as I tried CPR, the emergency services arrived and were able to regain his heartbeat back, but it had been too long for his brain to go without oxygen. That's in it the smallest amount of time I could tell that story. That's how the book starts. And then really the book is about what happens after the death of me, really Mm -hmm. that, that version of me in 2019 died and the new birth of me and the new birth of uh, a son that we have named Maverick. It was born after that river's little brother. Mm -hmm. And the story of how we got from there to where I am now is really that's what the book is about. Yeah. And, and one thing that you just mentioned, which I, I appreciated so much from the start um, of your bringing us into y'all's story is that obviously the grief of losing River, the grief of actually not having this beloved anymore, regardless of who the listener's beloved is, like that grief is overwhelming. That grief is almost inarticulable like if that's even a word that's an inarticulate word but it's it's almost impossible to explain and early on in the book you know you kind of say what you just told me which is obviously grieving the loss of river 
is, is a lifelong process. It's hard to explain. It's hard to put into words. It's hard to understand. But what also happens with a tragedy like that is, is a lifelong ripple effect to which you mm. just sort of referred in that there was a death of you in that, in that loss. There was a death of parts of your wife, of parts of your kids, of, of parts of your life that I imagine are still, you know, even almost five years later, sort of still being uncovered. And so I just appreciate that that's kind of where you start. And I, I wonder like for people who are, who are in that, or they're in a place where maybe they've experienced a lot of healing, but those ripple effects keep happening. You know, they keep discovering another, another thing to grieve, or I call them in my book, these little funerals you have to keep happening over and over. Mm. Um, man, how do you encourage them? Like, are you, are you still dealing with these, these ripple effects? Wow. That's, that's crazy. Uh, you say that and it just gets me thinking because as I look through pictures and videos of me before June the 4th, 2019, I really, I do, I look at myself every time I think that guy, that guy died. Mm. And, but here's the thing, here's the key, I guess, to your point. I'm not sad about that. In fact, I'm, it's an overwhelming joy mm. that because we all have to die, we have to. In fact, the Bible talks about in, unless a seed dies, it will not grow new growth. So any of us that have ever gardened of, of any kind in our life know that in order to grow a beautiful plant, you have to start with a seed that has died. Mm -hmm. And unless it dies, you don't get the new growth. So it's an interesting thought to think that we have to have little funerals all the time because we constantly need new growth and to do the new to have new growth we have to constantly die to ourselves and sometimes there's big deaths like like I had in June 4th 2019 and then 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 there's little deaths that we should have every day as we move 1% closer to that new growth now the big death for me I don't know maybe I shouldn't say June 4th 2019 maybe it probably happened months after it probably about 6 months after I lost Riv, I tried to maintain who I was and I, I just couldn't, couldn't hold on to it anymore. And uh, I've tried everything to be the old self. I got back on the stage. Um, I cranked up the tour again. I took my family with me. I tried to fight the, the guilt and the shame that just overwhelmed me from, from failing at keeping a son alive. Like the, that's the joke that people say almost as parents are like, you know, you know, the old thing about parents, just keep them alive till they're 18. <laughs> That's your only real job. Yeah. And I don't think about that and be like, oh, so I failed at the only real job. Mm. So uh, through the death of me um, to, is, is the only way that I was able to grow new, new life. And I look back on myself and I see those old videos of me and I, I don't miss it mm -hmm. in, a, in the strangest way. I'm so grateful and I'm so happy to have gone through what we went through in, in our lives, not just the, the death of river, but I'm so grateful for where I came from, but I don't miss it. Mm -hmm. I don't. And, and that's, that would be my encouragement to someone is that you don't need to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. That is so 
beautiful. And I get that on every level. And I know there's people sitting here thinking we're both cuckoo being like, okay, we're thankful that not that, that we lost, right. That this son or the spouse passed away, but everything that came on the other side, every new life and birth, like there, there truly is a treasure in those losses if we walk them with the Lord, right? There's this, this huge if that I feel like I'm constantly saying to people, you know, in these seasons and work so much with widows now, and it's such a blessing to be able to say, listen, like, (laughs) I wish you weren't here. Like, I wish I wasn't there, but I can promise you there's treasure where you are and your only role is to do your part. And your part is to surrender it to the Lord and he does everything else. And it's, it's the question is like, are you going to miss it? I guess is what I'm getting at. Like, as you know, the treasure is there. Like, are you gonna, are you going to miss it? Or are you going to get three, four, five, ten 10 years out and say, you know what? I liked that guy in those videos a lot, but I'm grateful that I'm no longer him, you know, Mm. but it's hard work. And one of the things you, you say very explicitly in the book is that pain is not permanent and that pain is not purposeless. And to me, all that requires still is that surrender, right? All that requires is God don't make this permanent. God don't make this pointless. Cause you and I have both seen people whom they live permanently in that pain. Right. And, and for whom it does feel purposeless. So what's the difference, I guess, like how the big question, like how do we farm the treasure? Like, how yeah. does it become not permanent and and not pointless or purposeless? I, I think I could help with that. I, I think you can too. <laughs> I think in, in a practical way, let's just think. Um, let's just think rationally, practically. If if this, if someone, say you met someone and they said, "So you're in you're in a you're in an airplane, right?" And you've never been in an airplane before. And the guy next to you says, everything's going to be okay. And you're like, dude, I, I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, they, how do you know? It doesn't make me feel comfortable at all. I don't, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. You say everything's going to be okay. And then you come to find out, oh, this guy's a seasoned pilot. Mm-hmm. He's done this exact trip many times, hundreds and hundreds of times. And the guy actually flying the plane is the guy that he has taught for years and years and years. So your worries start to go away and your trust grows as you begin to know that person that promises it. Right. So when the, when the Bible talks about God promising us, Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me. Hmm. At first you go, bro, I don't know who you are. There's no trust in this. And so if that's you, that's okay. That's okay. We need to start knowing, learning who God is. And the more we learn who he is, the more we know who he is, the more we trust and the more easy it is to surrender. Mm-hmm. You can't surrender and say, God, I give it to you. Take it all. If you don't know him, yeah. you're like, I don't know you. So I'm going to hang on to this a little bit For longer. Sure. And we learn who he is as he has revealed himself in the Bible. So it's it's us spending our own time, aside from church, aside from small groups, aside from uh, our own reading devotionals that someone has commentated, but it's our own time 
Hmm. As we spend our time working through the Bible and learning who he is as he's revealed in that, then we can trust, then we can surrender. Yeah, that's such a perfect metaphor. Um, and why would you trust anyone you don't know? I mean, including God, honestly, you, if you don't know about him, especially if, you know, I, I, yeah. I, the subtitle of my book is trusting God through my greatest heartbreak, because that's what I felt like was broken when Ben died, because I had always trusted him, right? I knew that, that he had the ability to make him a miracle. And when he didn't, my work was to rebuild that trust with the God who I felt like had let me down, not because he had to earn my trust back, but because I had to know that he was still the only safe place. He was still the only thing worth putting my trust in, my the, to trust my healing with. And that was a long journey, even coming from a place of faith. So I mm. hope that's an open door and an invitation to people who are doubting, like, doubting is not the end of your faith journey. If you do it, honestly, like it's probably the open door to really find out how safe God is. And so like, this yes. is, this is the beginning. This is an open door. Um, people but, should have questions. And to that, yeah. age, people should question that they should question you. And I would encourage people because people would be like, wait, you're, you're not supposed to question, right? You're not supposed to question God. No, people do that throughout the Bible. Yeah. They, they wrestle with God. They ask, David calls out in the Psalms all the time, how long, O Lord? Yeah. How long will you hide your face from me? And so as we wrestle, as we ask these questions, we're actually in communion with him. Mm -hmm. And so to people listening, when you say the subtitle of my book is Trusting God, I would encourage them to ask the question, well, Maddie, who is God? Yeah, for sure. And begin a search, begin searching. Who is he? Because then Jesus says, seek and you will find. Yeah. Knock and the door will be open. It begins with that question. Who is God? Because you could rightly say, I don't want to trust someone I don't know. Mm -hmm. So get to, get know, to him. know him. Yeah. And that's just so seldom, I think, our impulse, right? Like like I said, I, I felt betrayed is the honest word. I had some distance. I had to fight my way back. Um, to that trust and get to know God on a much richer level than I ever had. Um, I know there was a journey for that in you um, turning to, you talk so much about self-help, um, self-reliance, um, kind of our own inherent strength and our, you know, we're grateful for that. God wired us to be resilient people and we can carry a lot, but that, you know, a tragedy of this magnitude is bigger than self-help. And and you, like so many of us, are, uh, walk us through sort of your deep dive into that first, your deep dive into, okay, who am I? How can I carry this? And how can I manage this this burden um, before you turn to the, the right path, which is who is God? And he's the one who should carry the burden. So do you mind just sharing with us a little bit about that sort of initial in a deep dive, I think you even use the word addiction to self-help um, because it's so yeah. accessible to us. Um, it's so pervasive and, and it's not bad. I appreciate in it. You're like, this is not, this is not evil information. Like there were good practices mm -hmm. to pull out of here, um, but just how it worked and how it didn't for you. Cause I know that's an easy first turn for a lot of people in seasons of struggle. Yeah. Easy first turn. That's what it was for me. It was the first turn. And Probably the most important part of my testimony that I could tell people today is this is the most shocking thing is that 
I thought I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. But when I look back in hindsight, how I reacted to suffering was an indication that I was not. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that's why now I'm so thankful that God saved me through suffering. Because I'm so stubborn. And I, I love to rely on my own hard work. And with guys like me, I need to be slapped across the face hard. And that's what God did. And th that's why I wanted, I desperately want to tell people and I want to tell them my story. I want to tell them that, look, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom read the new Testament to me while she was nursing. You know, I always was in church, Sunday school, youth groups, that kind of thing. I grew up in the Bible Belt. That's just what we did. All, I don't even remember friends that didn't say they were Christian. Like all, everyone pretty much said they were Christians. Um, I knew a few Bible verses I could memorize. I could defend the faith. I could tell you what Jesus did. I didn't suffer from some kind of heavy depression where I was, I needed, I, I, I wouldn't say that I had a Jesus-shaped hole in my heart that I needed to fill I, I wasn't that yeah. I slowly drifted away from what I learned as a child and slowly started relying on myself over years and years and years and would rely on things that I built. And I got up early and I tried hard and I read this book that told me how to do these five facts to success or whatever. And, and I followed them and, and I, watched what I ate and stuff like that so that I can control myself. And so when I had an extreme loss with river, of course, the first thing I did was let me try to fix it. Mm -hmm. I know I have all the tools. I've been to therapy, counseling. I, I know how to do this. These books say the five steps is to do this. And so I would do it. And then I would mm -hmm. go, I'm not getting better. Yeah. So I better try harder. I better work harder at the five steps. And then that didn't work. So maybe what could outside go, oh, here's this marijuana weed pen. That makes me sleep. At least I'll be able to sleep so that I can get up and start my five steps or 10 steps again. And then that became, well, I wanted to do more than just help me sleep. I might as well just help me to go through the whole day so that I don't have these flashbacks of this PTSD. And then that was not working as well. And so it was always, my first response always was, what can I do? That is a great indication of someone who says they're a Christian, might even act like a Christian, might even say Christian things. But when it comes to something where they need to fix a big problem, they turn to themselves to do it. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. That's why I look back and go, oh, I wasn't a Christian. Mm -hmm. I know that now. And um, there was a a pretty pretty drastic, I think, breaking point for you where that, that self-reliance really hit rock bottom and all these, all these habits that, you know, in theory were healthy, helpful habits, couldn't bear the load of something, you know, a grief this large. And was that, is it fair to say that that really was your, your turning point and your moment into yeah. true faith, into true relationship with Jesus? It was, it was not the point that I entered a true relationship. It was the point I gave up and started searching 
like we talked about earlier, who is mm, this Jesus? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was in Boise, Idaho in December of 2019 when, I mean, it's crazy that I even talk about it because I didn't, I didn't talk about it for four years or so. I didn't tell a single person, not even my wife, probably the most vulnerable moment of my life because why was it the most vulnerable moment? Because I had built my, I had built this, these walls around me that said, I protect myself. I help myself. And when you, when you're a person that does that, you don't want to reveal the vulnerable. And what happened was through a series of events, as I started actually to feel a little bit better and feel like some of the stuff I was doing was working. Um, there was a night in Boise, Idaho, when I had a few too many drinks with the band and got back to the bus and realized in a state of panic that, oh no, I don't think I've had this much to drink since I lost River will I be able to practice all of these five, 10, 20 steps of self-improvement in order to fight off this, the extreme grief and pain and PTSD and flashbacks? Will I be able to? Well, that was the question. And then I thought, I don't think I can. And then I took another hit of that vape pen and it just got worse and worse. And I started bawling and I had a complete panic attack. And that's when I reached in my drawer, my back of my bus and pulled out my pistol and thought, this is how I'll, this is how I'll finish this. There's no other way. I've tried everything. I have tried everything I could do to fix myself, and this is the final attempt. Mm. And that was a moment that the changing point for me in that in that horrible moment for me was in, was when I thought a thought. And we've got to be so careful with these words to make me not sound crazy. I thought a thought that was not my own thought. Mm -hmm. I thought a thought that wasn't generated by my own consciousness, right? And that thought was this. This is the way. This is the way to rest. Mm. This is the way to peace. Just squeeze the trigger and you'll finally be able to rest. And I thought, I'm not alone on this bus. <sighs> as crazy as that sounds, and I was crazy. It was, I was having a panic attack, but I realized I am under attack. Mm -hmm. This is a spiritual war I'm in. I didn't know it. I'm outnumbered and gunned and surrounded and outflanked. And, and this enemy is more powerful than I could ever imagine. And I'm trying to fight him. Yeah, and yourself. I, yes. I called yeah. out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Instinctually, I called that out like a cultural Christian might. but. It actually worked and the vision went away and, the, and the, the, the PTSD stopped and the enemy was, was halted and I dropped the gun onto the bed and I fell down on the floor in all my clothes and fell asleep. And the next morning I woke up, just dried tears on my face and I thought, whoa, yeah. who is this Jesus? Who is he really? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it, it was such an arresting moment in the book. And, and I think what is heartbreaking to some and what is also a testament to how incredible God is, is that he comes to us often the most boldly, not in the, these mountaintop miracle testimony moments. Like he comes to us 
often most boldly in the back of the bus, right? In those moments. And like you said, it was this inherent calling out to him that just like those hymns, I think regardless of, of where you were, you know, in justificational standing, which we don't have to go all into, it's like those things had sunk into you, you know, and the spirit tapped them in a moment where you didn't even mean to need him, but you knew you needed him, you know, like almost viscerally. And I just, I think it sucks. And I want people to hear those moments. He's there. Like he's so palpably there. And if, if you feel like you are having a rock bottom after rock bottom, after rock bottom, I hope it doesn't look like that, but he's there. Like, and that, that instinct to call out is the Lord and that instinct or thought that is leading you to hurt or pain or, or whatever that, that wrong lying voice is, he can, he is the one to defeat it. You said, I realized I was trying to defeat this spiritual enemy in my own power. And like, that doesn't work. And just, it it was a miraculous moment to, to, to be a a small part of with you. Um, and will you just tell us kind of like after that, you said you woke up like dried tears and that was your moment of, okay, I got to know more about this Jesus that I've only, you know, had as an acquaintance my whole life. I mean, it, was it as a, some immediate change after that? Like, did you still feel some sort of, I don't know, internal tug of war about it? Like what, what did the next couple of weeks look like kind of thing? Yeah. You're, you're right to call me out on, we shouldn't sit there and pinpoint when I was justified or, you know, was I a Christian? Was Granger a Christian or not before that? I mean, it's like, that doesn't really matter, but what happened afterward really does matter because mm. I started a journey and I remember literally that next day I thought I need a preacher. You know, that was like, like yeah. that was a thought in my head. I need a preacher because something spiritual is happening to me. So the, the first name I knew in my head was Billy Graham. Was, I went to YouTube, Billy Graham, and then found out, Oh, there's hundreds and hundreds yeah. of Billy Graham sermons all on YouTube. And some of them are black and white. Some of them are color and he has white hair and some of them he has dark hair. <laughs> They're all over the world and he, and he's preaching. And, and I, I watched so many of them that I start, started to kind of recognize his pattern and, and what he was doing and where he would, the direction he was going. And then that algorithm on YouTube started kicking up other pastors. And then I started watching those too. And, and I, I was just learning and seeking and, and knocking, you know, as Jesus said, but but still not not in a place where I said, hallelujah, here right. I am, Lord. I, I wasn't there yet. I was more just kind of trying to figure out what happened to me that night and and why I couldn't save myself. It's really a, something I hadn't thought about. And then on March 1st, 2020 was when all that came together. And I was listening to a pastor through that algorithm on YouTube. And he was teaching out of the book of John, chapter 14. And the disciple asked Jesus, Lord, why is it? that you manifest yourself to us, but not to the world. And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And it, there was just something, It was there wasn't any magic about that particular verse, but for me, it was what opened my eyes. The scales fell off. Mm. My ears were open. My eyes were open. My heart exploded. And I knew on that bus that I was loved, not because I earned it, not definitely not because anything I had been doing in my life, 
In fact, I was doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. God radically intervened, loved me, redeemed me, restored me, healed me, brought me out of the depths of that dark night in Boise. And yet, in a response to that, Jesus says, you know how you could tell the people that, that love me? You know, you know how you can mark the people that love me in this world? Those are the ones that keep my word. And I thought, oh no, I'm loved. And yet, what am I showing in, re in return? I don't even know what his word is. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. I, had, I, didn't, I couldn't tell you all the words Jesus said. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I want to know them all. I want yeah. to know these words. What's he talking about? So I went home and my wife and I were what I call devotional junkies. We just read devotionals yeah. all the time. It was like one verse and then a commentary and then mm -hmm. you, you pray about it and then you feel good and you move on. And I was, that was, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's all I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was like I was eating appetizers and never getting to the steak. Yeah. And so I went home and I went right to the steak and I said, Amber, we're going to, we're going to start reading the Bible and we're going to open up to, I don't know, I guess Matthew one sounds like a good spot to me. That's where Jesus was born. Let's start there. And so she goes, I mean, by God's grace, she said, I'm with you. Let's do it. So I started reading and reading and reading and just kept going. And I just, I loved it. And I was like, God, I want to know your word. Jesus, I, you love me. I want to show you in return out of this gratitude. I want to yeah. know your word. So I'm going to read it. And I just, if I didn't understand it, I would find something on YouTube to help explain it. Then I would go back and read a little commentary, then keep going. And I just, I just fell in love with reading God's word. Yeah. And it just comes back to what you said. It's just get to know who he is, because when you do, you will never not fall in love with him. You know, you will never not learn to trust him. And, yes. and I know that feels overwhelming. You know, the Bible is overwhelming. Like you said, you didn't know you had never really read scripture just at face value. And, and I like how practical and honest you are. Like I just Googled it. Like I YouTubed commentaries, you know, yeah. there's so much, there is so much yeah. out there to help us translate. And just that you said very simply, like start where Jesus is, you know, the Bible's thick and it has a lot of history and context and translation and all of this, but you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're pretty much just stories about who he is. And, and that yeah. that's such a beautiful and, you know, not easy place to start, but it's the relational place to start. And that that is captivating and in and of itself. And, and just to, to not be, I hope people cannot feel as intimidated as I know a lot of us do. And just to ask for help. Like you said, you, you had Billy Graham, you had the best helper, you know, out there, but well, just somebody to walk you through it. That's a good point. And let me be clear about that. I didn't set out day one. I didn't, I didn't say I'm going to go home and read the entire Bible. Yeah, That's not what I said. I said, I want to start reading the actual text. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to know what Jesus said. If he says, any, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I, I'd like to know what his word is. Yeah. And so I didn't set out to read the Bible. I literally set out to read that first paragraph in Matthew mm. and then the second one. Well, maybe not the first one because that's genealogy. But as yeah. I got to the second <laughs> and third one, as I wanted to read that first chapter of Matthew. But what's crazy is that's and I didn't look at the whole Bible. I know it's thick. I know it's a big book and I know it's intimidating. But I just wanted to read that first chapter of Matthew. But what's crazy is when I finished the first chapter, guess what? I wanted to read the second. Yeah. What happens? What happens in the second? And then as the second one ended, I thought, well, do I have time? I really want to read the third. Yeah. I know I've got stuff to do today, but I'm kind of on a cliffhanger here and I want to know what happens in the third chapter. 
And so that's, that's eating an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. And I just slowly fell in love with it that way. And built that relationship. And it's, it's the relationship that builds the trust, the relationship that changes your life. And, and you're just so honest through the process, which I think is the best imitation for other people. Like this is not an instantaneous, my 180, my life is different moment. It takes yes. work not to earn anything from God, but work to get to know God. That's, that's the only thing that's on right. us. And, right. and you did that. And, and one part of the book that I really appreciated is sort of after this or in the midst of this sort of spiritual journey um, and, and growing in knowing God and knowing scripture you know, even with this newfound faith, you talk about what you call glitches in the matrix. And I think that's really important because there is, I think sometimes an assumption, okay, good. Like I've got God on my side. Like this is going to go a little bit easier. Like this healing is going to happen faster. And just unfortunately that's not, it's not as clean as that, you know? And so mm. can you tell us what, what you meant by that? Why that was included in the book and like, you know, what was a glitch in the matrix that y'all had to to deal with, even in this kind of newfound faith? Yeah, there are certain times in our life when, and all of us experience this, whether you're religious or not, you, you come across something that happens and you go, this is odd. Like, this is just, and, and it could be really good or it could be really bad. You could, your aunt could get diagnosed with cancer and you're, you're coming home from getting that news and you find that you're, your dog died or something. And you go, what in the world? Mm. What is going on right now? There's, there's something strange happening in my life right now. And I started recognizing not only the bad ones, like I just mentioned, but they're really good things too. And in those moments, I started recognizing that God is doing something here. So I better be extra careful. I better open my eyes to be able to see what's happening so that I could pivot with it. And so um, whenever the doctors told us in the hospital that River had no chance and we needed to go, Amber and I needed to go and decide when to turn the machine off. We walked out to this little serenity garden in the hospital to discuss this. And when we walked back in, Amber gave us all a total wild card. And I didn't even know she was going to say it. And the doctors didn't know. But when the doctor said, are you ready to let us know when you're going to turn off the machine? Amber said, we're actually, we're going to donate his organs. And I looked at her like, that's interesting. I'm not mad about it, but we didn't talk about this in the garden outside. And she admits now that that was, that was just spontaneous. It just mm -hmm. came, came upon her. And the doctor said, okay, well, the, that that's going to require a new team. We're going to have to get new surgeons in here and that's going to push everything back another 24 hours. You're going to be here. And she said, that's okay. He just has a perfect little body. His brain is sick, but his body is perfect mm. and it could be used. And I think it should be used. And I suddenly realized as that glitch in the matrix that this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst time. My, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It is total darkness. And then all of a sudden, there's this tiny sliver of light that comes in. Because now, for someone, this is a miracle. Mm -hmm. Today, they will get a phone call that says, you know that organ you've been waiting on? We have a perfect match. Mm -hmm. Today is your day. Today is the day you will live, or your son or daughter or your mother will live. Mm -hmm. 
because of today. And I thought, that's weird. It's not all bad. If God is good and he's always working everything to the counsel of his will, which is good, to the greater good of his greater glory, then anything that happens that's bad always is for a reason, for a purpose. And even when you can't see it at all, he is still working it. And so this was this was a time when I go, wow, it's not all bad. And that was that was a big deal for me. That opened yeah. up a big window for me. Yeah. And in that moment, I mean, you're in shock. This is complete adrenaline. So to even be able to see that joyful glitch and for your mind to have been able to go there and feel that goodness for whoever is going to receive those organs feels miraculous, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that's amazing. And a lot of what you also touch on in the book is just, I feel like become a mantra for me is just this coexistence of the grief and, and joy. I don't know that what you felt in that moment was joy. It was just a little bit of goodness and purpose, but you do speak about the joy that comes through grief. And I wonder like for people who are thinking that's impossible, like joy is so Mm -hmm. far from me still, you know, how long, I guess, into your journey of healing, your journey toward faith, did you feel real joy again? I mean, do you remember that? Did it surprise you or was it a thing that you Mm. felt like you were searching for, like needing to find? Well, something I love about this show is that you are constantly encouraging people to push it, to press into that joy, to continue seeking it. And I liked how you said that it's, we don't, we don't work to earn God's favor but we do work as a result of his favor. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that work is seeking joy and cultivating joy because it is absolutely there. It coexists with grief at the same time. Um, I don't know if I remember the first time I felt that, but I do remember early on feeling the, the problem I had with laughing or mm-hmm. feeling happy in the early days after losing Rip. And so we had two young children, ages five and seven. And so was I supposed to go through just months of just frowning? Mm. And if my son wants to go out and throw the baseball, am I supposed to be solemn and serious? Or as he's laughing like a five-year-old laughs, am am I going to laugh with him? Mm. And those are like thoughts I had. And then if I would instinctively laugh without thinking about it, sometimes I feel guilty Mm -hmm. and go, Oh, how dare you laugh, man? Three weeks ago, you lost your son. Now you're laughing. Yeah. What kind of sicko are you? You know, that those are lies that oh, grief yeah. brings into your life. So joy and grief absolutely coexist. The probably the biggest time I remember that that realization. And maybe I this is difficult to it's a it's a maybe a tough example because not everyone will experience it in this vivid of it. Of a, of a story, but when we got the phone call from the nurse that Amber was pregnant and it was a boy mm. and it was our little baby boy Maverick who is now two and a half. When we got that phone call, we cried, both of us, yeah. but we cried equally mm-hmm. for pain and grief that now 
River was no longer our little baby. He was no longer the last caboose. We cried. And then we cried for absolute joy that God did a miracle in our life and there'd be another little boy in our house. I mean, it was there, neither one of those emotions were higher than the other. They were both No, and that's in my experience, they really, your ability to feel the depth of both of those do happen at the same level. Like the courage that we have to really feel the depths of the heartbreak or grief or pain or loss. God rewards, I don't know if that's the right word, but he matches in our capacity to really celebrate, right? His restoration and redemption and and not replacement. I think that's important for people, you know, with your story, with Maverick and with my story, with being remarried, like nothing is replaced. It doesn't make any of that go away. There is just restoration and redemption and just insane gratitude that comes from that. And that whatever, you know, you are waiting on being redeemed, it won't be replaced even as, you know, literally as having another child or having a new spouse, but like God does redeem it. And that joy will match the depths of the grief. If you, if you walk it with him, like it really does. It's miraculous. I just don't know how to explain it. So good. It's so good. I wonder just to kind of stay on our theme as we wrap up, like you said, we love to talk about joy and encourage people toward it. Are there ways that y'all still celebrate river specifically? Like, is there stuff that you do or days that you do things to, to celebrate him? Yeah, for sure. We talk about him every day and we, we have tried to balance. We're not a family that like has created a shrine and we didn't keep this room exactly the same and didn't touch anything. And the opposite of that is we just delete them from our lives. Mm-hmm. So we didn't do either one of those. We try to strike a balance right in between. And um, we talk about them. There's a picture, a big picture of him in our living room. And so we don't, we don't hide that. And when guests come over, um, maybe it's uncomfortable to some people to go, oh, that's, that's the child they lost, you know. Um, but he is, he's a part of our family. And Maverick, our baby, talks about him all the time so and sweet. watches videos of him. And, and I often wonder, what is going on in his mind? Like, yeah. What does he think? Here's this baby in these videos, and there's mommy and daddy and sissy and bubba, and yet River's not here, and now I'm here now. But I don't know in, in his two-and-a-half-year-old brain what he thinks, but to him, that's his brother. Yeah. Today, before I did this interview— I was downstairs and and he was walking around in River's boots. And I told Amber, I said, those are, and she said, River's boots. Yeah. I said, they fit him now. He's grown into him. And she said, yeah. And he loves them. He's just like him. He's yeah. just like River in a lot of ways. A lot of ways he's not, but he's just like him. And he yeah. walked around, he's walking around. And in my mind, there it is. Like there's what we just talked about. Yeah. There's that grief. Those are the boots. And then the joy of, and Maverick loves them. Yeah. At the same time. Man, that's so good. That's just, uh, it's such, like, life is rich, and, and the bad parts, yes. ooh, they're bad, but there is, there's joy in it, and and just, I appreciate your sharing it, and y'all's resilience, and honesty, and mistakes, and, yeah. you know, transformations, and everything that you are now sharing and modeling is possible, is possible with God, and possible in our worst tragedies, and, um, the first line of the book is soak in every moment because it won't last forever. Like that was your thought in the yard that day. 
And I imagine this is so much more true for you now. Uh, that's how I feel. Um, it feels like every day. So I, I just wonder like, what are you soaking in now? Like what, what's bringing y'all joy right now? Yeah, I still, I still live by that. Um, regardless of how that has turned out sometimes, sometimes you soak in a moment ends up being the worst moment of your mm, life, true. but that doesn't mean that we don't soak it in because really joy, as we seek joy and we search for joy, we always find it in one place and that's in the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't find joy in tomorrow. Yeah. We don't find joy 10 years from now and we don't find it yesterday. We don't find real joy thinking about the past. We always find it right now as the sun shines on our shoulders and, and we're with someone that we love or doing something that we love. Or in, and, and God really, as revealed in the Bible, is always present. Yeah. God transcends time. And so God is not waiting for us tomorrow. He's not someone that only existed yesterday. He is with us today. Mm -hmm. In fact, that word Yahweh, which the old, the ancient Hebrews called God means translated, I am. Mm -hmm. God tells Moses, when Moses says, what's your name? What should I tell the people your name is? He says, tell them, my name is I am. Mm -hmm. That is the most present thing yeah, yeah. you could possibly say. Joy is in the present. Mm. And so, yes, we, Amber and I specifically, we're in a moment in our lives right now that is a small window. I just talked to her about that, that this morning. We're in a small window right now because in September of this year, 2024, um, Maverick will surpass the age of mm. River when we lost him. And I don't know what that's going to feel like mm -hmm. as September hits and he's now older than his older brother. I don't know um, what we'll do about it or how we're, we will celebrate it, but I do know we need to soak up these moments right now. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. It's, I, I, I love that. I've heard that many times, like joy only exists in the present. And as you said, it's such a perfect ending. Like, God exists everywhere, but we only experience him in the present. That that's, that's all he asks of us is, is mm. be with me today. Like speak, commune with me today, like draw mm. near to me today. That's where I am. That's where joy is. That's where mm. healing is. And that's all he asks 24 hours. Like otherwise we're just spinning our wheels just yeah. these 24 hours. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Well, Granger, thank you. If y'all, have not read Granger's book, Like a River, um, go get it. it. It is for anyone in any season. We will all struggle and and you, I promise, will feel less alone in, in reading Granger's journey through the highs, the lows, um, and where God has taken him on the other side. Man, I'm so grateful. Like you're, again, your joy really is palpable. Like it, it's it's unreal. You are a testimony to, to healing and faith and, and just miracles, man. I'm so grateful to get to know you. Maddie, thank you so much. This has been uh, it's been an honor, and I, I, I just really appreciate it. Well, I hope y'all have a wonderful year. Stay warm um, in Austin. We're doing our best here, yeah. but I appreciate your time and your words, man, so much. Thank you. <laughs>